The Free For All Roundtable. Round two. On round two, we have Laura Babcock from Power Group Communications and the host of The O Show. Divica DeMerla is a Mississauga City Councilor and John Torrey, former mayor and News Talk 1010 pundit. We're glad to have him back in the family. Let's actually start with you, John Torrey. You used to sit on the police board. What do you make of a $1.2 billion budget that's being proposed? Well, I make a couple of things, John. I think that uh, it's disciplined because in an inflationary environment like we've seen, to be able to come in at 1.2% is, uh, you know, is, is good. Uh, I also uh, would remind people that uh, there is going to be a new collective agreement, uh, which has not yet been negotiated. So there is not a number in the budget to take account of that. Uh, so that has to come later. What the city does is puts a sort of plug number in and waits for the negotiations or the arbitration to happen. But look, if we're going to have a safe city, and, and I have some scars to show for the fact that I maintained this position all the way through eight years as mayor and eight years on the on the police board, uh, you know, where I think the average budget increase was about one and a half or one and three quarters percent. Um, we have to resource the police properly. They have to have the people, whether it's on hate crimes, which we're going to talk about, whether it's on car thefts, whether it's on, uh, you know, gun crime. We, we talk about all of these things, but we have to give the police the resources they need while at the same time uh, looking for other ways to do things, which we certainly started to do when I was there, which included, say, different responses from mental health professionals for uh, people like that. So uh, to me, this is a budget that is appropriate for the times, both in the sense that it gives them some more resources, but also constraints uh, below the rate of inflation. And Deepika, it's not your police force, but you've got one of your own that you need to fund. Are you facing similar pressures in Peel? Absolutely. In fact, we've passed our budget, John, and a much, much more muscular budget uh, um, in terms of the increase than Toronto. Uh, we're a smaller police force, but the increase is uh, more than what Toronto is proposing. But I think, you know, I was just thinking about this in two things, and I know John knows this. Municipalities have the responsibility of funding police, but at the end of the day, it's quite hard for a municipality to say no to the police budget, because if we do say no, the police can then take it to the Ontario Civilian Police Commission for arbitration. It's not a straight no. But the other thing is, I think, you know, we are putting so much pressure on our police services from everything from auto theft to domestic violence to mental health. And a lot of them are not policing issues, but we keep turning to the police as a stopgap. We have to recognize that. And if we and I think we sometimes ask the wrong question in terms of are we funding the police too much? That's not the point. The point is our justice system is weak. Let me give you an example, John. In my own ward, I have an illegal weed store that the police did eight different search warrants, eight times. And on each occasion, the Justice of Peel, the very next day, would release these uh, the owner of the store. So, you know, we were on this stupid circle or, you know, whatever you call it, treadmill, where uh, the police would catch them, the justice system releases them. And so now you think about the resources the police have wasted trying to go eight times to the store. Finally, we had to put concrete barriers. So that's the situation in Ontario today. We had to put concrete barriers at the store to physically stop this illegal weed store from operating. Let me give you another example, auto theft. You know, I'm I'm shocked. I keep reading about auto theft, but the problem is the justice system doesn't have enough consequences for thieves, so they keep doing it, and the police keep chasing them. The police keeps trying to catch them. I was just reading that 
there was a 4.2 million in stolen vehicles that Peel Regional Police, uh, I guess, retrieved, and the jail sentence was six months. So, you know, if we want police resources to be used effectively, we really need to strengthen our justice system. Laura Babcock, I'll turn to you. And it's worth noting, I realize it's only been 24 hours, but I just, I'm not, I haven't heard a peep out of the defund the police crowd. Interesting, isn't it? I think part of that conversation has taken root. I've always been for looking at the allocation of police resources. I always thought that was a misnomer. Uh, It's really about, like you would do with any budget when I run organizations, you go through and you say, are we spending this in the best way possible? Is there innovation? Is there partnerships? Are there other alternatives? For instance, as we were just hearing about Having the police go to mental health calls. Is there more support in the community? You know, having the laws enforced or having the courts be better funded so things get expedited. What can we do to offload some of the needs we put on the police for their services, some of those stopgap measures we use them for? Is there a better way to use this huge chunk of our municipal funding? And if you come from the Hamilton area, our residential taxes are out of control because we have a lack of commercial industrial tax space over the years. It's gone down. Down. And so residents here uh, did push back on the police budget, not from a defend, defund the police lens, but from a really, we're just going to rubber stamp this massive part of our municipal funding pie. Can't we have a, a closer look? Can't we demand that the police services board have some more transparency and accountability? So we're still working on that here, John, but it comes from a place of we need the police. Let's just make sure that they're doing what they do best and we can resource some other things elsewhere if it saves money and makes more sense. I don't know how many police officers officers you know, are demanding that they have this as something that they can wear as part of their uniform, but I thought it was quite charming yesterday that the chief unveiled a regulation yarmulke. Uh, Dipika, on round one, we had one panelist who still doesn't think it was the right choice to let police officers and uh, people in the army wear turbans, but I've always thought, just bring it on. You know, it's a uniform, keep going. I, I couldn't agree with you more, John. I mean, it, where's the harm, whether it's a kippa or a turban? Uh, it's all cultural. And, you know, why does why does a particular police force wear a particular kind of hat? It's all cultural. You know, it's all human made up. So I'm all good with uh, diversity. Okay. Laura Babcock, your thoughts? Yeah, diversity and inclusion doesn't mean boiling us all down to one single idea or look or accepted practice, right? Uh, It means actually celebrating the diversity and the difference among us. I can't help but think, John, that the more we understand what makes uh, our communities great, the more we get to know each other, the more we get out of our comfort zones, uh, the better we're going to be able to deal with conflict and the better we're going to be able to handle terrible things like we're watching um, happen happening with the war between Hamas and Israel. Like if we can communicate better as a society and have more of those relationships between our cultures, we get to points of pressure and we have a better way of navigating them. So I'm all for anything that celebrates diversity uh, and celebrates peace and celebrates the Canada that I know we all want, which is a, a country of peace. And John Tory, I sent pictures to everybody this morning of this kippa, and it's uh, in official colors and has the Toronto police crest on it. It looks pretty good. I agree, and I think that as the other uh, two, uh, Dipika and, and uh, Laura, have said, 
it's a sign of respect. It's a sign of uh, inclusion. It's a sign of uh, diversity. Uh, and I just think those things are so important. Uh, you know, a lot of people who have come to Toronto have come from places where you fear the police. And there are people who've lived here for a long time who fear the police, you know, for right or for wrong. And so in the end, I think everything we can do to be sensitive to the fact that this is a very complicated city in terms of its population is a good thing. And look, the other thing is, things like this, you know, everybody, including whoever was talking about it this morning against it, uh, they predicted that dogs and cats would be running around in circles because of stuff we've done that were steps forward or steps that were different. And that's not been the case. It's been the case only, I think, that it's made us stronger and better able to deal with some of the terrible things that are going on in the world today because uh, we're showing respect and being sensitive to these kinds of things. So the NDP has... And through their deal with the Liberals, made a big deal out of Pharmacare and delivering a Pharmacare program uh, to Canadians. And John, I'll start with you on this one again. Um, a new survey shows the Canadians barely are aware of it and don't really care. Well, I, I think they care. And I think when they care is perhaps when there's a drug that's not on their drug plan, but the drug plan is the word. You know, the majority of Canadians through their work uh, or otherwise through their spouse's work, their partner's work, have uh, an existing drug plan. And so for the majority of Canadians, this wouldn't be at present in any event uh, a problem. And in fact, it's one of the greatest stress points that companies and employers face in terms of the cost of uh, financing those drug plans uh, for the people who work in those companies and organizations. So I'm not surprised that people would say that's not a big deal for me because I have a plan. Uh, but there are all the people who don't. And, and uh, again, we have a, I don't know what I want to call it, a fixation uh, in this country with making sure all these things are universal. And, and I understand the pluses to that. Um, and so now you have a universal plan that's coming forward. Um, and, and But I think if you look at the survey you're talking about, most people would say, no, I have a drug plan. So therefore, I'm more concerned about how long it's taking to get my knee fixed or how long it's taking to, uh, you know, see a doctor or get a doctor. And so they would say, if you had money, put it into something else. But this is uh, politics at work here in that uh, the New Democrats, uh, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but the New Democrats made it part of the deal. The government is now going to great pains to bring something forward by a deadline that I think is now March, and here we are. Well, Laura Babcock, maybe it's just bad marketing, and, and also it's easier to understand a dental program than it is to understand a pharmacare program. <laughs> Right. I think John's on to something. You know, it's only when you want that particular pill and realize it's $800 a month, like a neighbor of mine found out about something they needed and had to get a second job, right? Uh, so when you need it, you care a lot about it. And I also think it has to do with a sliding scale somewhat. So if we didn't have ERs closing across this province, if we didn't have backups and surgery and wait times and all kinds of other problems in our healthcare system, uh, you know, maybe pharmacare would be higher on the list. But we've got other more pressing and concerns that need to be addressed. And so I think people naturally go with the thing that matters to the most in the moment. But to your point about the bad marketing, absolutely, absolutely, John. I mean, you've heard me say so many times, I feel like the Liberals, and in this case, the NDP, because it's a co-pro with the Liberals, I feel like they have been asleep at the marketing switch for the last four yeah. years. And now, finally, finally, we're starting to see through their housing minister a little bit of, you know, action on that. And they're starting to get it. But man, are they behind. Like when they start to be robust on TikTok, I'll start to believe they actually understand the 2023 marketing landscape. In the third quarter of this year, Canada added 430,000 new people. We are now 40.5 million. Uh, Dipika, that's, uh, you know, somewhat humbling to say the least and, and i think a lot of people are asking is this coming too fast i think the uh, you know in, 
we were having this uh, similar discussion last night and one of the um, a friend of mine told me that she's getting her home built and she has a dentist from india who is now working as a construction worker helping build a house and you know it just made me think we i know one thing we have a huge shortage of construction labor skilled and unskilled so if you're going to bring people in my only question is why are we not bringing in people who can build homes because we know we have a huge housing crisis and it's it's almost vicious so we're bringing people in so we need to build more homes but we're not bringing the right people in so we can't build a home so let's just get this right if you're bringing people in let's bring in people who can build homes so that we can all live in them and build the infrastructure john tory your thoughts well look the four hundred thousand plus number i mean let's put it in perspective in 1913 1913, Canada brought in 400,000 people, and it was a much smaller country population-wise. Uh, I think it's more a matter of how we're doing it or how we're not doing it than it is about the number. And I think we are, to Topeka's point, we're looking sometimes at, 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 at bringing in uh, people uh, from groups other than what we really need to have. But the bottom line is we need to have immigration in this country. Otherwise, the economy is going to uh, stall. And I think even more importantly to the people who already live here, we will lose the ability to pay for the programs that we have. We've already seen over the last number of years a steady uh, increase in the number of people who are dependent on working people. In other words, the number of seniors who are ne needing more health care and more this and more that, who are dependent on those who continue to work. And as that number continues to increase as baby boomers age, we need to replace the people that are doing the work to produce the money uh, to uh, pay for the health care and so on. And, and that's not coming from people having babies. They're not having enough babies, so therefore uh, we need immigration and they've enriched the country over time and it will continue to be the case but we have to settle them properly and support them and give them language programs and as Topeka was uh, talking about integrate them easily into the workforce or into the professions like doctors and others. Thank you all exactly. good to have you this morning John Tory, Laura Babcock, Tipica de Merla and it's time for the nine o'clock news.